Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, September 15th. We begin with a conversation surrounding the future of the monarchy, specifically whether we as a nation should cut ties with the monarchy. We discuss the idea with Professor Alan Hutchinson from the Osgoode Hall Law School, York University. Then we continue our Back to Work series. This time out, though, we look at the role businesses play in the health and wellness of their employees. We speak with Laura Putnam of Motion Infusion on how more businesses are taking an interest in the overall well-being of their staff and the benefits that result for both employees and employers. It's a jaw-dropping stat. One in six Alberta men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer at some point in their lives, a number that's larger than the national average. We discuss the importance of testing and early detection with Jeff Davison, CEO of the Prostate Cancer Centre. And finally, from the new math to complicated science projects, parents have their work cut out for them when it comes to helping kids with homework. Now there's an app for that. We learn about the new online homework helper called PhotoMath. A survey from the Angus Reid Institute finds half of Canadians say the royal family is no longer relevant to them personally. With the death of Queen Elizabeth II, is this the right time for Canada to now take a step back from the monarchy? Joining us to talk about it is Alan Hutchinson, Distinguished Research Professor at Osgoode Hall Law School at York University. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Uh, feelings on this, uh, a lot of talk about it, and I, I, I find it a little bit sad that half of Canadians say the royal family is no longer relevant. Well, I, I don't think it's... Um, you may indeed feel sad, but uh, people like to think they're relevant, although it's unclear to me in exactly what way they are relevant because they don't play a particular role, and the person who represents... The monarchy in Canada is, in fact, appointed by the prime minister. So it seems a rather odd situation that people hold on to the monarchy. I think it's, I can see the affection. I can see the affection for that particular individual, but the the role they play in Canadian life, I think, is is much exaggerated. Whether people want to keep that, of course, is entirely up to them. But it will be a difficult thing to do uh, to change the role of the monarchy in Canada. Okay, well, we'll get to what that road would look like, how, how we would you know, kind of sever ties, so to speak. But I want to ask you this. What would it look like without uh, being a part of uh, this system that we've been part of for so many years? What would change? What would we notice as Canadians? I don't think we'd change very little. I mean, much depends, of course, what we replaced it with, but presumably we could keep the idea of a governor-general, a formal head of state. They could have the same powers as they do today. It's not just not clear to me what exactly would change the formalities. There'd be a shuffle of some institutions, but I don't really see it having a great impact. After all, the reason people perhaps think it's a good idea to change is that we live in a democracy. Why would we have an hereditary head of state? We need, If we're going to have a head of state, like most countries, maybe it should be the prime minister or maybe it should be some other official. So if there were to be a road to changing things, what might that look like? How would that even be possible, or, or is it possible? It is possible uh, in the sense that it's theoretically possible. Uh, under the Constitution, it requires the consent of all provinces and the federal government. Now, as we know, in Canada, getting the provinces and the feds all to agree <laughs> unanimously to anything uh, is not a good idea. And I think the concern would be that once we opened up the Constitution, people would say, well, we're going to talk about um, 
the monarchy, why don't we talk about some other things as well? And I think that's a that's a genuine problem if we get going down this road. But nevertheless, people should decide for themselves what we want Canada to be, whether we want it to be a, a part of a lingering British empire or do we want to say, no, we're mature enough to run our own affairs ourselves. We do know, read the news headlines, you know, Jamaica and Barbados severed their yep. ties with the British monarchy this year. What has been the result of, of, of that? Have, have we seen any changes to these countries? I think when you ask that question, when people, I'm never quite sure what they're, they're looking for when it comes to the answer. When you say, what have, what have they changed? I don't think anything's changed, mm-hmm. really. Sure, the, the pageantry may have changed. They may sing different songs. Uh, after all, we don't sing God Save the Queen already. Um, so I think these things are, uh, there's an appearance of change, but I'm not so sure there's a great change that will actually occur or that people experience in their lives, which, which gets some people to say, understandably, it's a lot of fuss over nothing. So why don't we keep her? And yeah, I'm not unsympathetic to that. We've other things to deal with that are more troubling for us on a daily basis mm-hmm. than simply whether we have a nominal head of state called King Charles III. Potentially, Andy's face on our Canadian dollar bills. Then, if we were to let go of the Queen, so you never know. But uh, what it does, in all seriousness, what does that look like for the currency of a country when when you let go of the monarchy? Well, yeah, yeah, the picture will change. I'm not. I mean, that's a good example. Yes, we would change the picture, as you put it, on there. But what would change? I'm not really sure much would change at all other than we'd have some different um, five, ten dollar bills. And it would seem to me that's likely to be it. People hold on, I think, to this idea, one, because they think it's significant, although it's not entirely clear why. But I think it's symbolic, which doesn't mean symbolic things are not important to people. But I don't think it has the significance that many people think. Very interesting conversation. We'd like to thank you for your time and a very timely conversation. Thank you so much, Professor. No problem. Take care. Have a good day. You too. That's Alan Hutchinson, Distinguished Research Professor, Osgood Hall Law School, York University. You know, Sue, uh, what he said, and he, he, you know, grappled with that question when people ask, for example, when this has happened uh, recently, as mentioned in uh, Jamaica and Barbados, Mm -hmm. what's different? And he goes, that's, I have a hard time with that, because what is different? Not much. So... All of a sudden, I went from when he gave that answer, you know, to like, yeah, maybe we don't need the monarchy, to saying myself anyway, what does it hurt in the sense that if it does bring people some comfort, if people do enjoy it, if they identify as a Canada that is part of the Commonwealth here, uh, if, if then why why bother? If, if, if you enjoy it, if it's something that you hold as a pride of mm-hmm. being Canadian... I don't have a problem with it. And, and you know, the pomp and circumstance that goes with it, too. I find it very beautiful. I, I like it I, myself. But, you know, again, I guess you can look at it either way. Which do you prefer? Does it change anything for you? I don't know. Yeah. Um, Morgan says we shouldn't even be talking about this until after the Queen's buried. But I think lots of people are discussing it because they've done polls on it. And, and a lot of Canadians, half of Canadians, don't feel that we need the monarchy yeah. anymore. Diane says if William and Kate were on the throne, like many Canadians, I would keep the monarchy. I don't care for or have faith in King Charles. I'm ready to let the monarchy go unless he steps down within the next couple of years. Yeah, well, this uh, texter Al says Canadians should take advantage of this opportunity to cut ties of the nonsense that's the english monarch we won't get another chance until king chuck kicks the royal bucket okay um, but you know to, to morgan's point we shouldn't cover this 
the day that the Queen passed, my kids came home from school and mm. said, within social studies, we were talking about the monarchy. Yes. It opens up the conversation. Not, it's nothing to be disrespectful. Mm-hmm. This is something that happened, you know, it's happened for years. But to that point, you know, the other part of it is, I've heard time and time again, we need our own identity and we don't want to become Americanized and we're too close. This is one of the things that makes this us different apart, you're right. than the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, this texter says the royal family only does what makes them look good. They created their own tradition to look good. They're useless. It's time to spread the Ooh. wealth and that they stole for centuries. You know what? I And this is, I don't know exactly what people don't like Charles terribly. And I think it all relates back to Diana for the most part. But have you seen all the memes and everything all over social media with his fingers? saying that the man is very yes. unhealthy. Anyway, if you look at pictures of him, he's got sausage fingers. Like, they look like they're Has going to... Has this been to... verified, though? Because I've seen these pictures as it's well. It's all over social media that okay. his fingers are so swollen and look like sausages that are about to explode. So clearly, if those are real pictures and images that are everywhere, he is not a healthy man. Okay, well, here's your homework, folks. Get on the uh, internet. The interwebs. Prince Charles Fingers. <laughs> And your coworkers are going to think you're crazy. It'll be the first thing that pops up, I guarantee it, because everybody's looking at them right now. See, I've seen the pictures, but I've never searched it. I'm going to have to search that right now. Do it. It's safe for work. You're good. <laughs> What does the future of work look like for you and your company? The way we work has been changed forever. Now an in-depth conversation about today's workplace. This is Back to Work. As employees return to the office, it might be time for companies to use stealth strategies to engage their staff about health and wellness. Joining us to discuss is Laura Putnam, founder and CEO of Motion Infusion. Good morning to you, Laura. Good morning. All right, I'm interested in this, these stealth strategies and and breaking that down for us. But let's get to it first, which is something that I think a lot of people have experienced and, you know, might be a little wound a little more tightly after the pandemic. What is leading to burnout and high turnover for these companies? Because there's lots of choices out there. You want to keep your employees happy. What is it that's leading to this burnout? Well, it's really interesting. The research shows that actually a lot of that has to do with the workplace itself. So things like work overload, things like toxicity tolerated in the workplace. These are the really core issues that every organization needs to be thinking about addressing uh, in order to address burnout. But the, the other piece to think about is, is that we might call the, the impact on our mental health the second act of the pandemic. And so we all knew that, that a lot of those measures that we had to take to protect ourselves physically during the pandemic, things like social distancing, certainly have taken an enormous toll on our mental health. So now it's showing up in the workplace. Okay, Laura, so we understand a little bit about the burnout factor. So what are these stealth strategies then that, that you refer to and how can we use them in the workplace? Well, I think that the the thing about workplace wellness is that unlike the field of dreams, the movie, if you build it as in a workplace wellness program, they, as in the people that you're trying to reach, they will not necessarily come. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the largest study to date on the impact of workplace wellness shows that about 80% of eligible employees simply opt out. And then on top of that, we know that In general, there is this massive knowing and doing gap. We know that we should exercise more, that we should eat healthy, that we shouldn't smoke, that we should meditate more, that we should take more time off, spend more time with our family. And yet we have a really hard time getting ourselves to do the basics when it comes to to better health. 
So uh, one study found, for example, that less than 3% of us just do the basics, eat healthy, get active, don't smoke. So this is why we have to look for clever strategies like going stealth, meaning that you don't call it wellness, and you incorporate these wellness efforts into non-wellness programs like leadership development or like safety training. Okay, so yeah, you're you're it's part of the work day to a certain extent is part of your role, but I would think maybe the reticence for a lot of these companies and organizations might be the cost involved. They to get a retreat together that, you know, maybe has a huge hike component or to subsidize gym memberships is 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 this part of it? Is the cost involved that why more companies aren't doing it? it you know, the perception is that in order to support wellness in the workplace that you need all the bells and whistles, things like gyms and um, things like fancy platforms. But the truth of the matter is that especially now, true well-being is really about appreciating people, not just for what they do, but for who they are as human beings. And so these are the kinds of things that really actually come for free. So things like really notice that every manager needs to be trained on how to really keep an eye out on the people on their team and really notice if there are people who are feeling left out, people who aren't feeling as well as they might, and really making that extra effort. So if we want to talk about true well-being, those are the kinds of things that we need to be doing Laura, do you think the pandemic changed us a bit in terms of what employees want and expect and are looking for from our companies, from our bosses, et cetera? And and maybe that's sort of what's led to this? Absolutely. I mean, what we've seen is we might characterize um, this time as the great reset. We all have had this moment in which the pandemic has really awakened us to what matters most and certainly health and living a long, happy life are those basic things that we all know that we want, but in the the hustle, everyday hustle of work, always on work, we may not stop to think about that, but the pandemic and all that came with it really awakened us to what matters most. And so now people are really voting with their feet and they are insisting that the organization that they work for actually cares about them and cares about their well-being. Laura, thanks. A very timely conversation as many of us are back to the office full time for the first time in a while. We appreciate your time. You bet. Thank you. Laura Putnam, founder and CEO of Motion Infusion. You can find out more about what she does at lauraputnam.com. And maybe that strikes a chord with people, Andy. Is, is there something that is happening at your workplace or that your mm. boss does to recognize you? Or maybe as an employee, are you looking for a company that will, you know, other than, you know, pushing health and wellness at you, mm-hmm. more be listening to you and what you need as uh, you and your fellow employees and, and, you know, sort of that's what you gravitate towards. Yeah. Is it a gym in your office? Is it perhaps saying, hey, we're going to subsidize a gym. You, you submit your receipts, you get 50%. Or is it, hey, I need an, I'd like to go for a walk. Okay, well, take an extra half hour for lunch mm-hmm. for your walk, whatever it might be. Are, are you finding that they're receptive to your ideas? Or has it always been like that? You've always had a great cooperation to promote your health and wellness mentally and physically in your office. September is Prostate Cancer Month in Canada. One in six Alberta men will be diagnosed compared with one in nine in the rest of Canada. So what more can we do? Joining us this morning to talk about it is the CEO of the Prostate Cancer Centre, Jeff Davison. Hi, Jeff. 
Hi, good morning. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Those stats are kind of scary and much higher for here in Alberta. So why are the diagnosis numbers higher in our province? Well, you know, the real scary thing is we just don't know. That's something we're trying to find out. You know, so what we have to focus on is what do we know? We know that prostate cancer is the most common cancer now found among Canadian men. Um, and, and so we start to start thinking of prostate cancer to men as to what breast cancer is to women. Uh, simply put, early detection saves lives. And there may be still, Jeff, believe it or not, some, you know, I guess not misinformation, uh, but people might not understand that when you say early detection, there are many ways for men to get checked out and get the uh, ball rolling. Yeah, our, our man van program is a is a great example of that, Andy. I think there's there's a lot of people that you know have a misconception that it's all about a finger in unpleasant places. Uh, it's really not. It's a simple blood test, and it's all about getting screened early. So we we talk about how we need men who are over the age of forty to start getting a baseline check, so that we can really attack this thing early when and if it happens. Um, prostate cancer is nearly one hundred percent treatable when discovered early. The sad thing is with COVID, uh, our man then was off the road for, for quite some time, and uh, that affected about 14,000 Southern Alberta men from being screened. Can you explain a little bit about the man van? I mean, sure, Jeff, there are probably people who've never heard of it. Sure. It, it, I mean, it's a one-of-a-kind program, uh, and, and it's all about, uh, we, we know men don't like to talk about their own health. We know they sort of put themselves behind everything else going on in their own lives. So we really try to get out into the community and make it easy for men to get checked. We go to lots of community events. We go to sporting events. We we try to be all over southern Alberta and make it convenient to just pop in, get a PSA test done, uh, and, and start to think about uh, taking care of your health over the long term. When it comes to prostate cancer, Jeff, can you give us an idea of if somebody is diagnosed, the resources available not just in our city but our province? Yeah, it's, you know... It, Prostate Cancer Center is is a very unique uh, organization dedicated to the... It's really about end-to-end support for Alberta men and their families facing prostate cancer. And so we're really committed to saving lives by focusing on that early detection through the man van, as we talked about. But we also provide rapid access clinics to both pre- and post-treatment care. So that means before you have a surgery and after you have a surgery. It's that wraparound care that we have. and, And frankly, it's made us a leader in prostate cancer research. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, Jeff. It's important we keep talking about it and bring awareness to it and the Prostate Cancer Centre as well. ProstateCancerCentre.ca. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Jeff Davison, CEO of the Prostate Cancer Centre. Andrew Schultz. It is interesting because men, and I'm going to sweep here and have a generalization when it comes to the sexes, men are not quite as used to being you know, poked, poked and, and prodded. prodded. We are not as uh, have the intrusive experience as women have. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. It's the way it always has been. Yeah. It's uh, biology, folks. I don't have to get into it with you. Uh, but here's what happens. Uh, you, you, there's fear because it's the unknown. Right. And I had this check again uh, probably about four months ago with the blood, the PSA blood test. And it's a blood test. And yeah, oh, yeah. But uh, it's not this, the one that, like he said, at it's the not same the one time, we all kind of giggle at. I was kind of offered that by my doctor. What do you think? Should we do the? And I said, what do you think? And she said, PSA was good. I, I can, you know, you're, you're now, because, you know, I'm 40 years old, Sue. No, you're not. I'm not 40. Um, she said, I, I can do it. And I said, I'm in, excuse this pun, I'm in your hands. Well, not exactly. Your hands are <laughs> well, in, will be in, in a minute. me. Uh, but I think <laughs> I didn't plan that. Um, because everything you can do to be proactive. Well, yes. Is Why it wouldn't little, you? Is it uncomfortable? Is it something I want to do on a Sunday afternoon when I've got free time mm-hmm. and I want to enjoy myself? No. <laughs> Um, and it can be embarrassing. It can be awkward. Yeah, oh, Who all cares? Day. If it saves your life, if it does. is it worth it? Hell yeah. yeah.
tip of the hat to Jeff and all they do there at the uh, Prostate Cancer Center mm-hmm. because it's it's great work. Women, men, go get your physicals, go get yeah. your checkups, go get your tests, go get it all done. The uh, alternative, it's not good. According to a poll by the Angus Reid Forum, 43% of parents say their children are feeling less confident in their math abilities thanks to the pandemic and online learning. With some insight on how educational apps could help support kids and parents, we're joined this morning by Caroline Drucker, VP of Marketing at Photomath. Good morning, Caroline. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Start off by telling us a little bit about Photomath. What, What exactly is it? What do you do? So PhotoMath is an app where you can take a photo of any math problem. You can scan the problem. We will give you the answer and step-by-step instructions on how to solve it. So we can give you expert verified solving steps for your exact problem. And then you can learn to really understand the essence of what you're trying to figure out. So basically anyone at home can figure out how to get better answers and, and, and work out their math problems on their phone. To me, Caroline, this seems like it's more for the parents than the kids because the kids are immersed in this world. They're learning about it. But it does seem to me that as we get distance away from school and the way they've changed the curriculum, you hear this a lot from parents that we don't even understand what the heck we're looking Mm -hmm. at. Yeah, I mean, it is it is really tough. So 57% of parents said that their children have fallen behind. They're worried that their kids have fallen behind due to disruptions in learning. And we saw that through the pandemic, like parents had to take a much larger role in their kids' schooling. But a lot of really a lot of them really struggled to fill the gaps because, you know, not all of us remember how to do the math that we learned in school. You know, 60% of parents in this poll show, said that they admitted that they don't actually have the skills they need to help their kids with their math problems. So kids were missing out on that one-on-one person support, you know? And in terms of math, we see that like almost 50% of parents in Canada say that they're not a math person. Hello, joining the club on that one. So is, yeah. is math the biggest concern or, or are there other subjects that we're really having trouble with as well with as parents? I mean, math is definitely... I mean, there's definitely a ton of subjects that people are concerned with. But I think the thing is that we saw that 40, again, 43% of parents observed their child confidence in math has diminished. And specifically, since online learning has started, a third of parents say that math is the number one subject that causes anxiety for their child. How does this, uh, you know, work as far as a relationship with the school, Caroline? Is, Is this accepted by educational institutions or is this seen as kind of a shortcut? Well... What it's really there to do is to help students when they're trying to do their math at home. Your teacher's not with you all the time. And there's that moment, those moments when you're truly struggling to remember, like, what was the concept that I was learning in class? So PhotoMath is really there to support students to get that sort of that extra help in those moments when they need it. And we see that by using PhotoMath, students are able to deeply understand the why behind something. It's not about the answer. You know, a lot of the answers are already in the back of the math tech, in, in the back of the math textbook. It's really about understanding how you get to the answer. So we're there to help the students as they're practicing and sharpening their skill set. And schools are really appreciative of those ability, of those opportunities that children can continue to practice and get that extra help on their own. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you know, learning how to get to that answer is really the key here for the kids and the parents, frankly. So how does PhotoMath work? It's PhotoMath.com. Do you pay sort of a subscription fee or how does it look? Exactly. It's a, it is a, it's a free app. 
you download it and you can use it for free. We do have a premium subscription for $59.99 a year, which is certainly less expensive than the cost of a tutor. But essentially, you just scan any photo, any, any math problem, and then you solve it. And then if you have a premium package, you can get additional learning tips. But again, with the free, with the free app, you still have more than enough to be able to figure out and learn more about the math concepts that your child is exploring or your or you as a as a learner are exploring. About 30 years too late for me and my (laughs) dismal math mark. But uh, (laughs) thank you so much for your time, Caroline. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. That is Caroline Drucker, VP of Marketing at the the company Photomath. You can find out more about what they do, photomath.com. I just remember the the frustration of sitting in my room going, I'm I'm staring at this thing. I have no idea where to Mm -hmm. go. And you, you feel that sense of just like fear and despair come over you because whether or not you miss something in class or you just don't have those skills like I didn't at the time it was crazy I still to this day if something is very mathematical my eyes just kind of glaze over I have a a panic attack it's terrible so I think this could be a really helpful thing to have at home absolutely to break down the steps right to to get you to there no idea something like this existed my kids are going to be hearing about this for sure photomath.com